to your attention. As Joe Cutshaw mentioned, we are now in Lent, and Lent is that 40-day period up to Easter, not counting Sundays. Sunday is a feast day, not a fast day. And we, uh, during this period, are focusing on the wilderness. And the wilderness is a big theme in the Bible. And it's one that we can relate to during this pandemic, for we have been in a wilderness, a wilderness that's been disorienting and draining and downright scary. And so we're going to think about the wilderness and how God shows up in the wilderness. And we're going to begin with Jesus. Jesus began his ministry in the wilderness, and we're going to look at it. So I want to invite you to Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And I'm not going to comment on it until later in the sermon. I'll go through it more carefully. But just to let you know, you always want to study a text in its context. And uh, what has just happened prior to our passage is Jesus has been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit has descended upon him like a dove, and he's heard these most remarkable words from God the Father. This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now watch what happens. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Matthew's Gospel. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, would you now, by your Holy Spirit, uh, make the, not only the reading of the Word, but the preaching of the Word, your effective voice to us. Teach us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, quick confession. Uh, Rupali, my wife, and I do not like camping. We are more what you would call hotel campers. Uh, we prefer a comfortable room and a soft bed over your claustrophobic tent and your sweaty sleeping bag. But we know that a lot of you do like to camp, and we respect you for it, and we admire you for it, but uh, not for us. I'm beginning to wonder whether all of us ought in Lent to give camping in the wilderness a second look. Because in the wilderness, we get in touch with the essentials. We learn what matters most. We discover what we really need and what we don't need. We pare down, we strip down, and we learn to meet God in a fresh way, and God shows up. 
In the Old Testament, Israel began its relationship with the Lord in the wilderness. Freed from Egyptian slavery, they wandered for 40 days, 40 years rather, in the Sinai Desert. And they were stripped down to the basics. They learned to travel light. All they had was God's presence in cloud and fire, God's word through Moses, God's worship in the tabernacle, and God's people in gathered community. And it was enough. In the wilderness, it was a hard time for Israel, no doubt. But in hindsight, it was a good time. So good, in fact, that hundreds of years later, the Old Testament prophet Hosea would look back on the wilderness period and say that it was Israel's honeymoon with God. Wilderness is a place where God shows up, where God reveals his faithfulness and provides for his people. Like Israel, Jesus begins in the wilderness. Let's take another look at those three wilderness temptations. I want us to watch how they have their roots in Israel's story and to then see what they meant for Jesus and consider what they might mean for us today as well. Let's think about the first temptation. Turn these stones into bread. Here's where we think this might have happened. This is a picture of the Mount of Temptation outside Jericho. Now, Jericho is the oldest inhabited city in the world. It's 10,000 years old, and it's in the Jordan Valley. And you can see in this mountain a lot of little caves, and there's a monastery there. It's been there for hundreds of years. And church tradition tells us this might have been where Jesus had camped and spent time in the wilderness. It's very close to the Jordan River where he was baptized. But let's read what's going on in our first temptation. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Now, isn't that interesting? The Spirit that lands on Jesus in affirmation is the same Spirit that leads Jesus into the wilderness where he's tempted. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, God does not tempt, says the book of James, but God will allow us to be tempted. And so here, Jesus is tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, that's why Lent is the length that it is, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, he's probing this new identity of Jesus and seeing if there might be some insecurity for Jesus or uncertainty in it. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, that's Deuteronomy 8.3. What's so interesting about that is that Deuteronomy 8.3 is about Israel's time in the wilderness. And Jesus has this in mind. So what does this first temptation tell us about Jesus? Well, first of all, Matthew is telling us that Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the new Moses. Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the Sinai wilderness on the slopes of Mount Sinai before God gave him the Ten Commandments, the authoritative teaching for his people. Jesus fasts 40 days and 40 nights before he gives his authoritative teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, which is the next three chapters. Jesus is the new Moses, the new teacher of God's word, the new leader of God's people. And, like Moses, Jesus is associated with a bread miracle in the wilderness. You remember that Moses uh, was associated with the manna, the miraculous bread from heaven that God provided through Moses in the wilderness? 
Well, the devil comes to Jesus and says, if you're the new Moses, then do a Moses miracle. Make miraculous bread. Jesus is the new Moses. But we learn more than this. Jesus is not only the new Moses, Jesus is also human. He gets hungry. I hope we all saw that. He gets hungry. Do you know the early church heresy called docetism? Docetism? Docetism is the heresy, the wrong belief, that Jesus only seemed to be human, but he was really divine. And this is a wrong belief. We need a Jesus that's not only fully divine, we need a Jesus who's fully human. Now, why? Because Jesus is the great high priest who builds the bridge between God and humankind. He needs to be fully human to represent us completely before God. As one of the ancient theologians said, that which Jesus has not fully assumed in our humanity, he has not fully redeemed. Jesus is fully human. He gets hungry. I don't think he got hangry, but I do think he got hungry. Jesus is human, and that's good news for us because Jesus gets us. When we are depleted, when we are weak, Jesus understands. So then how does Jesus withstand the devil's temptations? Well, he quotes the Bible. As Dale Bruner says in his commentary, Jesus is a man of Scripture, Jesus has memorized the Bible and he knows when to cite it and when to apply it and how to apply it. Jesus says, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus shows us that as important as bread is, and it is important because you remember Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. We need bread, so does Jesus. As important as bread is, It's not all important. We need more than that. And that's why we can't just focus on the body and its needs and its comforts. We need to press into the word of God and understand the fullness of the life God wants to give us. We we live not just on bread, but we live for a fuller life, a life that God gives us through his word. So what might this first temptation say to us? Well, just like Jesus, when we're physically depleted, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to all kinds of doubts and temptations. Maybe you're worn down now. Maybe you're worn down. Maybe you're vulnerable. It's something for us to pay attention to. Jesus can relate. I think this might be why we Christians fast from time to time. We give up food to make us recognize our essential dependence on God. Just how weak we are if we don't have a meal or two. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's true. And so there's a certain awareness of our, of our essential dependence on Jesus. And so when we're weak, when we're depleted, it's easy for us to forget how loved we are by God. And this is what the devil is trying to exploit. Sickness does this to us. Unemployment can do this to us as it drains us. Chronic pain does this. It sets us up for this great temptation to feel that God doesn't love us. And when we're tired and depleted, furthermore, it's easy for us to take shortcuts, to get out of our lane, to get out ahead of God and meet our needs in a, in a, in a shortcut way. And it would be tempting for us to do that, to use food, for example, or drink, 
or drugs, or shopping, or pornography, or video games, something to fit into our lives that will fill that void, at least temporarily, and we can be tempted. Jesus remembers God's Word. Jesus trusts in His belovedness, and He becomes an example to us. That's the first temptation. Let's move on to the second temptation. Throw yourself down from the temple. Let's take a look at this next section. Then the devil took him to the holy city, this is Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Let me show you a picture of where this could have been. This is a picture of the southwest corner of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem today, and many of you have been here with me to see it. And scholars tell us, archaeologists tell us, though even it has been rebuilt since the time of Christ, it is pretty much the same dimensions, the same height that Jesus likely would have stood upon if he had been tempted literally in this place. So imagine that. Keep that in mind as we continue here in verse 6. If you are the Son of God, the devil said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Let's let's think for a minute about what's actually happening here. Jesus has gone from the depths, literally 660 feet below sea level. That's where Jericho is. He's gone up to the heights, Jerusalem, 3,000 feet above sea level. And temptation occurs in both places. You can be tempted at the depths when you're physically weak, and you can be tempted at the heights when you're spiritually exalted. The devil knows how to tempt in both places. Notice also that the second temptation centers on Jesus' role and relationship with God. If you are the Son of God, Once again, the devil's exploiting the weakness, potentially, of of uncertainty or insecurity around the relationship Jesus has with God. And then, watch this, Satan takes a page out of Jesus' playbook. He quotes the scriptures. Psalm 91 is what he quotes, and uh, this ought to be a warning to us. Just because you quote the scriptures doesn't mean you have the truth. Because you can quote the scriptures wrongly or inappropriately and you can misapply them. It's not enough simply to say the Bible says. You need to study the Bible. You need to understand the Bible. And that's why in our Presbyterian tradition we have an emphasis on Bible study and on on scholarship. It's because we know the Bible needs to be interpreted appropriately. So the devil quotes scripture and then Jesus quotes back. And it becomes this sort of dueling Bibles, if you will. Jesus continues to quote Deuteronomy from the wilderness section. Jesus goes from the depths to the heights. He, now he's tempted at the heights to use the power and relationship he has with God to be showy, to do something spectacular, to sort of prove that he's in right relationship with God so that all can see it. But Jesus refuses his temptation. And he quotes the scripture again, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, don't make God your servant. Don't ask God to do some spectacular work to make you feel better about yourself. And this is a perennial temptation for God's people, especially religious leaders. We can be drawn to the heights. We can want the acclaim. We can want popular approval. 
And we can do this because of a deficit in our own self-esteem. And so we seek some sort of dramatic uh, public persona to bolster our insecurity and to buttress our low self-worth before the people of God. And Dale Bruner's words are a corrective to us. Listen to these. The Holy Spirit's way is not so much up into the fascinatingly great as it is down into the ordinarily mundane and into the way of the cross and of suffering. And this is hard. So how does this speak to us? We're not the unique Son of God. None of us are. We don't have these kinds of power and possibility. But the temptations we face could be similar. If we're not confident that we're God's beloved children, we could be tempted to use our religion for showy, self-serving ends. We might do this personally as individual Christians. We might do this collectively and corporately as churches. Seeking something showy and spectacular and impressive could give us a sense of self-esteem. Our status in the community. Our prestige and prominence. Our well-attended programs and our impressive facilities. We could focus on these to feel better about ourselves. But Jesus reminds us to shun these temptations. To simply trust that God loves us. Jesus teaches us to be confident in God, to avoid the showy and the spectacular, to take up our cross and follow him. That's the second temptation. Now, finally, the third temptation, bow down and worship me. Let's take a look at our text beginning at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What do we learn from this temptation? Well, first of all, we learn that Satan does indeed have the power and the ability to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Now, how do we know this? Three times in John's gospel, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. In fact, in 1 John 5, 19, Satan is described with these words. The whole world, John says, lies in the power of the evil one. Satan can offer the kingdoms of the world because they are his. They are the fallen territory that he presides over. And this is why sometimes we talk about the unholy trinity. Have you ever heard about this? The world, the flesh, and the devil. This is the nexus of evil over which Satan uh, rules. So the devil can offer these earthly kingdoms to Jesus. And for most would-be messiahs, this would be very tempting, wouldn't it? Most would-be messiahs want to rule the world. And if you could give them a shortcut, an easy, pain-free way to get that kind of power, they'd jump at it but not Jesus. Jesus is not most messiahs. Jesus roots his reign in the kingdom of God. Jesus' kingdom advances by sacrifice, by humility, by weakness, by love. Above all, Jesus walks in the way of the cross. And so Jesus sees through this temptation and focuses on the heart of his calling. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What does this mean for us? If we have a noble goal that we feel is worthy, 
a noble goal. We can become consumed with achieving it. We can pursue it at all costs. We can cut corners. We can do the wrong things for the right reasons. In our drive to achieve, we can assume that the end justifies the means. And when we do this, we often lose sight of the end. We, the end gets lost in the means. We sacrifice our mission. We compromise our integrity. We lose our identity. We can do this in business. We can do this in relationships. We can do this in politics, certainly. And we can do this in the church. Go on. Cheat on your taxes. Falsify your kid's college application. Pad your resume. Tell a half-truth. Manipulate people. It's all for a greater goal, right? Jesus shows us a different way. Keep the main thing the main thing. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He's the end and he's the means. Friends, wilderness is a time of testing, and wilderness is hard. In the wilderness, we feel hungry and tired and lost. In the wilderness, we're stripped down, down to the essentials. Following God often involves the wilderness. God's people have often spent time in the wilderness. Moses and Israel, the Old Testament prophets, Jesus and the apostles, the early church, the desert fathers and desert mothers, God's people often spend time in the wilderness. It's an indispensable part of the spiritual journey. And the good news is the wilderness is never wasted when God is in it. And I think that's probably the main message today, honestly. Jesus is with us in the wilderness. When we feel alone in the wilderness, we have a friend. This is what the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says in chapter 4, beginning at verse 15. Look at this. Speaking of Jesus, the writer said, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Don't you love that? COVID has been a wilderness for us as individuals, for our extended families, for our communities, for our businesses, our workers, our employees, our educators, our students, our shut-ins. COVID has been a wilderness. But Jesus is with us in the wilderness Jesus is with us. He too was tempted. He too was tested. He gets it, and he gets us. So friends, this Lent, as we make the journey through the wilderness, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, knowing that Jesus is with us and that he longs to give us the grace we need. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here and also who are watching and I pray for each of them. Lord, I am quite sure that they have been in the wilderness as I have been. And I pray that you would encourage them through this word today. I pray that you would bolster them, give them perseverance and strength, give them hope, and help them to continue in this journey. And may we meet you in new and exciting ways. In your name we pray.
Amen.